Ava Wilde is a beautifully gifted human being. She has an amazing space called Wild Nature Retreats that she hosts um, practitioners and facilitators at in different workshops, different types of retreats. And also she is a very gifted facilitator and space holder. So today we are going to just talk about the overall human experience. Um, this is a very open conversation. We talk a lot about just the way that life presents itself to the human, how the human uh, responds to that presentation. Um, we talk a little bit about sex. We talk about you know raising our, our families. We talk about the knowledge of self, um, the importance of having conversations with people and how difficult that might be now. So this is a very beautifully woven conversation that just really kind of spans again, the human experience. So I hope you get something out of this conversation. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, today I'm sitting across from a beautiful human being, uh, Miss Awa Wild. Uh, so Awa, if you are from the Pacific Northwest, you may have been to her space. You may have had an experience at her space, Wild Nature Retreat event and event center. Uh, you may have come across her at some event. Um, she is very active in the, uh, the healing world. Uh, so many things that Awa does, uh, part of which is uh, she's the creatrix of her own private practice called Sensuous Revival Healing and uh, the aforementioned Wild Nature Retreat and Event Center. Uh, so personally, I've done a few sound baths out there in the in the yurt, and it is just, it's a beautiful experience. Love being out there. Uh, being out in Snohomish, it's like close enough to, you know, civilization, but also far enough removed that you feel like you're in the woods and you're kind of like in this remote space. And it's beautiful. I just love everything you do. Um, so Awa and I have known each other for a number of years. And uh, the last time we talked, you approached me and you were like, hey, I want to talk about some stuff on your show. So uh, always happy to make space for amazing individuals to share their information, to their sh share their story, to share their perspective. And, uh, and so... Thanks for being here. Mm. Really excited for you to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a long time coming. It does. Watching and listening. And what's funny is I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times my time in the car is the only space where I have like utter silence. Mm. And so to actually put on a podcast and listen to somebody talk. Yeah. It's like you have to really, really, but... Uh, you've had a lot of people I love and a lot of people that I don't know and a lot of really inspiring topics. And so I really appreciate, um, I think there's something sweeter about listening to somebody that you know, and also being able to hear topics that are, that are meaningful and inspiring. So yeah. I appreciate you Thank working you. this into our community and sharing it with the world. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the feedback that, that keeps people going, you know, cause this is a labor of love and this is just a passion project that I just love having conversations with cool people. And so thank you for that. That's what yeah. keeps me going. Yeah. Oh, and I'm definitely like looking around and checking things out. Cause I don't know if, when we talked about this, I mentioned it, but I signed up for a, um, training to, on how to create my own podcast oh, really? probably five years ago. Okay. And thankfully it's a work at your own pace. <laughs> <laughs> I still have it saved on my laptop. And, uh, last year, about a year and a half ago, I started getting more excited about it. I met with a producer. Mm. He kind of walked us through like what kind of equipment to get. He's also a local yoga te teacher. Sweet. Um, I decided that I wanted to have somebody do it with me. So her and I were 
messing around and doing some pre-recordings. We had some funny little niches. Um, and and then I was getting married and then she was getting married uh-huh. and it literally just, again, got pushed to the side. And so as I was leaving this morning, I was like, we'll get there. It's okay. You know, yep. like I really, um, anybody who's ever known me knows I have a lot to say. And funny enough is I'm learning to be quieter as I'm getting older. Yeah. Um, and yet there's still such passion for, I would say like the integrity and the value of each word that's purposefully chosen. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what comes with the embracement of age, you know, is that we realize that we still have important things to say, but it's, it's more succinct about what is being said. Right. You know, cause there's, I think there's a reflection part that happens with age where, you know, whereas in my twenties I would be ready to speak out about something. But I mean, a lot of times I might be in the same breath doing that thing, right? <laughs> right. Whether I realized it or not. Right. And be like, yeah, fuck that. And then I'm like over here, like doing some nefarious type shit. Right. But as we start to get older, we really embrace and you can kind of think before you jump to that. Yeah, that is fucking wrong. Well, maybe it is wrong, but where's your place in that wrongness? Okay, cool. So before I tout how wrong that is, maybe I should do some self-reflection as to what I'm doing that might be considered wrong in that similar vein. Get me right. And then I can have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. And recently I was at a training uh, and the teacher said, um, things can't be taught. They must be caught. Oh, shit. And I wrote it down and I kept forgetting to like look back at it because I kept wanting to like share it with people. And then finally I went back because I finished that journal, which takes me a long time to get through a whole journal. So I went back and I reread it and it was just like, I think that that's been a huge evolution for me in the last several years is who am I talking to and are they actually listening? Hmm. Because I have spent so much time and energy trying to fix the world. <laughs> and yeah. that just speaks to like my beliefs and brokenness that I was healing within myself, which is what you just referred to is, um, this morning I created a, uh, a slide who knows if I'll share it. I do this a lot, yeah. but it says, um, it says, I'm like, now I'm gonna have to look it up because I want to make sure that I use the right words. <laughs> It's not about being on the right or wrong side. It's about your belief in sides and separation and the invitation to resolve it within. Wow. And I think about the arguments that we have with each other and that we forget that we are all on the same side. Right. And this, a lot of this has been inspired, you know, just through our political climate. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in an area that is quite divided. Yeah. Um, I mean, specifically to the region in which our house is and our center. Right. And, um, and then, you know, what's going on with our brothers and sisters on Maui. Right, and yeah. it's, it's fascinating to think back of even just like where my mind was a few years ago, five years ago, 10, 20 <laughs> and then to think about like, I have kids and like, <laughs> like I see, uh, people maybe that are a little bit younger than myself or, or my age or even slightly older and what they've, uh, you know, quote unquote accomplished in their life. 
for those that don't have children Mm -hmm. and, and I have to really be mindful that I don't compare myself because I'm like, Oh yeah. While they were doing X, Y, and Z, I was wiping butts and potty training and learning how to put them through the school system. And, you know, just like living my life as, as that role at that time. And yeah, it's just, um, it's fascinating to consider how, easily we can become divided yes yeah there's a there's a a young man that i that i sit with quite a bit and um whether energy sessions or just you know human coaching you can call it that Mm -hmm. and um and i love this human so much he's he's a young kid he's probably 23 24 you know just bright eye you know got a ambitious future all this stuff but one of the things that we constantly talk about or uh, this gentleman brings up is uh, how how he's doing compared to others in that age range mm-hmm. that he's in. And, uh, and what I have to keep telling him is that that's, that's an unfair barometer to go against, right. For you and for them, right. Because you're your own person, you're on your own path. Like comparatively speaking, I asked him this, I'm like, okay, so look at me, I'm 43, you're 23. Do you think I'm successful? And he said, yes. I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you for that. First off. <laughs> <clears throat> but just to put it in perspective, when I was 23, I had a child. I was terrified. I didn't know if I could do it. I almost ran away, right? Stuck it out. Was kind of a shitty father for a while. Figured it out eventually, right? Now, if if you compared yourself to me at that age and then stopped, yeah, you maybe you, you might have something better than me, right? But that's a chapter in life, right? We don't know how long this chapter is going to be, how long this book's going to be, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the comparison of you to other people, take that out of it. Compare yourself to yourself, like, where are you today versus where you were yesterday? And don't judge yourself as, like, good or bad. Just using that barometer as to where you want to continue to keep pushing yourself. You're your own mirror. You're your own barometer, right? Let other people maybe inspire you, but don't look at them and be like, ha, this fucker over here, you know, right. only has this and I got all this. No, 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 no. That's unfair because you have no idea what what led that person to having what you consider just that because yeah. just that for you might be the world to that person, right? Yeah. So like, you know, we, we are in that realm in the West, at least of that comparison, the keeping up with the Joneses idea, right? Yeah. And let's pry ourselves away from that and just continue to work on ourselves and just find our internal happiness and see where that takes us instead of me trying to barometer off of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think a lot of people know about the book, the four agreements mm-hmm. and you know, what does it mean for us as humans to not make assumptions and one of the, well, the first podcast that name that I had chosen years ago, mm-hmm. and it's, there's an Instagram page floating around that I think just has one picture of me sitting meditating, um, because that's how far I got with it at that time, <laughs> uh, is called sit with me. Okay. And it was about hearing people's stories because, you know, I think there's enough people in the world that understand that like material doesn't make you happy having the right job doesn't make happy having this much money in your bank account doesn't make you happy. Like we ourselves, I believe and have chosen to believe that I am happiness Mm -hmm. and it is my job to live into that. Um, but for us to make an assumption based off of what we perceive is happening for Mm -hmm. those people. Right. And how different could we actually be if we sat down and listened? And my goal was actually to sit with people experiencing homelessness um, people maybe just out of prison, hmm. maybe people in prison, right. um, drug addiction, right? And then also like CEOs and cab drivers and like 
the people that we often maybe make fun of mm -hmm. or give stereotypes or try to like poke fun at for one reason or another, mostly fear. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it goes back to the idea of separate. Like when I perceive someone as X, mm -hmm. it's a reflection of my own belief about myself. And, um, I learned something a long time ago and I still learn it, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what it means to put people on pedestals. Yeah. You know, I had talked about meeting Alan Stone when I was working with Wanderlust. What an enormous learning opportunity for me to not people put people on pedestals. I was working mostly on the production side. Mm -hmm. I got to meet a lot of teachers that I idolized and to see them having a bad day mm. and maybe not being so friendly, right? not necessarily treating people with love and kindness as a yogi, that was like, oh, what? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so first that chapter was judgment, right. like, oh, these people, they're fucking assholes. <laughs> and then the next chapter was, oh, well, they're human too. Totally. And, you know, maybe they did go home and reflect on the way that they talked to that driver that day or whatever it was. But, you know, this, this idea that we are actually equal, mm -hmm. that we were born the same and we will die the same. Right. And whatever happens in between is strictly a movie that we have orchestrated based off of what I believe to be a karmic assignment. Right. So, yeah, well, there's a famous, uh, there's a famous talk from Ram Dass and I've talked about this on this, the show before, but you know, Ram Dass talked about this in like, I think it was a mid seventies, like 79, maybe somewhere in there where, uh, he was doing a talk about, um, him becoming Ram Dass going mm -hmm. from Richard Alpert to Ram Dass. And, you know, when he made his Ram Dassness, you know, and he was all out there wearing the robes and being the holy guy with the beard and all the shit he felt he had to be that, that pious person, always positive, always the light, always the, the, the joy. Right. And for a while, I think he, you know, he said he fooled himself that he could be, yeah. but what he started to notice was when he would finish his talks, his speeches, his public appearances, he would come off and like be such a dick to like his assistants or the people that were close <laughs> to him, you know, all these beautiful people, Krishna Das of all fucking people. He's like fucking yelling at Krishna Das. It's like, Jesus Christ, man, the guy's like going to fucking sing you a lullaby when you're done. Like, leave him alone, right? Yeah. But, um, but he, you know, so one of the realizations he had was you have to fully express and embrace the spectrum of human emotions. You can't just live in there in this, like, quote unquote, higher state of being if that's not what you're ready to do, yeah. right? And a lot of us, we still have human emotions. We're still triggered by fear, by guilt, by grief, by whatever it is, right? And so when we don't, allow ourselves to feel that when we need to, it starts to lash out. And the other example that I've, I've heard recently, and I don't know, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories still coming out, but Jimmy Fallon mm. <clears throat> tonight shows, right? A lot of, uh, accounts and stories are coming out now, maybe not as bad as what Ellen DeGeneres just recently went through, mm -hmm. but saying that Jimmy Fallon's an alcoholic and he's always drunk on set. He's lashing out at the, the, uh, the, the staff there and he's being such a dick. Right? But you look at him on TV and he's like, oh, fucking Jimmy Fallon. I'm the guy. I'm happy. You look at me. Yeah. Because he maybe he feels that same way that Ram Dass did, where I'm the television personality. Everybody sees me as this person. I've got to be this. And then he's so miserable when he gets off of that, that character that he reverts back to all the negative emotions that he's kind of pushed aside because he didn't think that he could embrace them. And that those show up as alcoholic or as, you know, these lashing out around the, the people that he works with and loves. Yeah. You know, so it's like we got to be able to feel that full breadth of human emotion. Which is 
such a, a powerful wide zoom lens to consider what it means to be human in any aspect of our lives and what roles we adopt in that. I mean, for me to be a mother, mm-hmm. um, a teacher, an educator, and to be moving in this area of work that I am, like that's been a huge conflict for me that's been mostly subconscious. Mm. Um, you know, I have online social media and platform and the other day I was at my daughter's volleyball game <laughs> and I went to post uh, some of it on, on my story because that's I share the realness of my life on, on my social media platform. It's how I think a lot of people are drawn to me is I don't pretend to always be happy. I don't pretend that I always have my shit together. Yeah. Um, for one, it doesn't feel authentic, right. but also it's... Um, it's the way that I show the people that the work that I do does actually work, right? If I have a shit day today and then later in the day I'm able to like reflect with the people and show what's been happening, like, oh, I actually feel better and this is why, this is what I did, whatever. But I went to post this video of my daughter's game and I went to tag her school and I was like, hmm, nope, yeah, not going to do that. And it's because, and I've told her specifically well, for one, she's not on social media. I won't let her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Smart. So I shouldn't say that completely. She has a TikTok account, but I'm also signed in on her TikTok account on my phone. So I don't, um, I don't give permission for her to have access to those spaces because I don't think she needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, no judgment for those who do. I know there's, I have kids my son's age that, you know, have those accounts. But anyway, going back to what my point was is, um, if people in her community or even my other boy, you know, my boys communities gain access to the, the content that I publish, pub, publish, yeah, publish, um, I imagine that it could be, um, it could pose challenge for them. Yeah. Whether they, they have opinions or the friends, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> I already get my daughter coming home from school with a, a list of guys that she goes to school with that talk about me and you okay. know, being a hot mom. And <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> she gets it on both sides. Actually, she's like, "Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people who tell her she also has a hot dad." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, there you, you have go. good-looking parents. That's yeah. why you're so freaking beautiful." <laughs> exactly. There you go. You got good genes, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you know. How do we, I mean, my life's work is really about how do we live from our heart center? How do we truly honor what we feel passionate and excited about, even if the rest of the world doesn't agree? Right. And, you know, um, I'm not Ram Dass, but I I feel like I have Ram Dass moments. Totally, yeah. And, and fuck I mean Jimmy Fallon like as soon as you said his name I was like oh he's hot like and like I have this idolized <laughs> thing in my head right mostly because of the um, karaoke challenges that he does oh, I fucking love those I don't watch TV I don't know what's happened with Ellen I actually was on her show I don't know if you know oh that. I didn't know that alright this was 15 years ago okay actually probably right around this time um, I had created the game blindfolded musical chairs Okay. And submitted it to her show. Anyway, not <laughs> important, awesome. <laughs> but it is my 15 seconds of fame. Hey, you gotta I love suppose. that. Um, but 
to understand that like each of us go through what I would consider in those moments initiation. Hmm. Am I being true to myself? And I love that Ram Dass learned that experience. And um, one of my favorite songs is uh, the one that is with his voice in East Forest. And yeah. he says, love everyone and tell the truth. And that's a mantra of mine that I use frequently. Hmm. But the difference for me in that understanding is to love to love someone is not to always be nice. Right. And that's what a dangerous, that's a dangerous trap to get into. Yeah. yeah. Like I've told my kids all the time, love everyone. You don't have to like everyone. I, there are a lot of people in this world I do not like. Mm-hmm. And it's just because we have different preferences. Yeah. And I don't care if your favorite color is purple and mine is green. We don't need to argue about which one's better. I also don't have to go to coffee with you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, I can't anyway. remember who it was. There was somebody, um, somebody current, and it's not even like the Dalai Lama. Gosh, it's escaping now. But basically, they were talking about something similar, right? You know, the the people that that are hated in this world, right, or that might trigger an emotion inside of you, right? And and what this person was saying was that's the person's picture you put on your altar, mm. because if you can find a way to send love and gratitude to that person and hope that they have a good life, whatever that is for them, that's your bridge, right? That's where you start to really kind of put away your stories of what you think about other people. And you really just see the human for what they are. They're a human being. They're a division of us in a way, living a life that we couldn't live, right? In a way that we could never live because that's the manifestation that they popped up in. And so maybe looking at and, and, you know, and, and using somebody as a barometer and be like, okay, you've done that thing. That made me feel this way. Note to self, I'm not going to do that, right? So we can look at people, but not judge that person for doing it, yeah. right? Send Say them that you. love. Yeah, right? Because you just you learned a lesson <laughs> without having to go through the perils of learning the fucking lesson. You observed yeah. a lesson, was like, ah, I'm not going to be that person. Yeah. Right, right. Note to self. That's a huge uh, turning point when I'm working with clients that comes in is I I talk about it early on and, and then it's like, okay, we'll integrate that idea later. But when you can go from resentment to gratitude mm-hmm. to whatever situation is happening, whether you've experienced abuse or neglect or a combination of both, right. that, you know, you know, it's the cliche idea of like find the silver lining, mm-hmm. but can we feel it Yes. and be honest about what we felt and not bypass it and then continue to honor it anytime it comes up in a really healthful, healthy way that yeah. actually brings us to a place of resolve. Yeah. And that's a, a very, very different process than most of us are taught. Yeah. Well, continue with, uh, I guess we're just going to talk about Ram Dass the whole time. But <laughs> continue with Ram Dass. Um, there was a, there's a famous uh, interview that Ram Dass and East Forest actually did uh, uh, after Ram Dass had had his stroke, but a couple of years maybe before he passed. And, um, and, you know, if anybody's ever listened to Ram Dass pre-stroke, he was very vibrant and exuberant <laughs> yes. and he could throw like phrases together and just, he's very eloquent the way he spoke and energetic. It was just amazing to, to, to witness, right? Not that yeah. I witnessed personally, but just watching his speeches and listening to his stuff. And, and so he had this uh, interview with, with East Forest and they're sitting across a desk from each other. Mike's in their faces, you know, supposed to be doing some kind of cool interview. And they just sat there and stared at each other. And East Forest is talking about this afterwards. He was like, I was waiting for him to say something. Mm -hmm. And he never did. And so it turned in from this like, okay, who's going to talk? He's going to talk first to, it's been a minute. Now it's been two minutes. 
oh my God, it's been three minutes and we're just sitting here staring at each other in the eyes. And then Ram Das just takes a breath and he goes, just this. Yeah. Just this. Yeah. You know, and, and from somebody that used to be able to, that probably would have had like a novel's worth of phrases to say within that three minutes in a previous time is just embracing this opportunity that was created for him through the removal of that processing in his brain to be more present, to look at the human being across from him, to see that silver lining that was there that he might not have seen when he first had that stroke. Right. And now embracing that, that he's able to just appreciate this moment, you know, and that's, I think one of the most beautiful lessons that we can learn is that, you know, it's, and this is your lesson to learn, right? This is not like the, this happened for you, Mm. not to you. Right. right. That can be the most triggering statement for a lot of people. Right. And that's something that our egos have to come to ourselves through the journey of our own healing is that our understanding of how for this, for us is happening instead of to us is happening. Yeah. Yeah. One of my teachers, uh, his name's Diedrich Wolsack and he created the organization called choose again. Oh uh, yeah. Camo so, uses that process. He's yeah. used it on me a couple of times. Yeah. It's beautiful. Choose Again uh, has been a really, really strong foundation for a lot of the work that I do. Mm. So um, he he will inspire us to ask the question, what is this for? Which is a, 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 an inquiry that says this is for us, mm. right? And um, another way of saying that for me is, you know, what is this asking me to learn? And I think that you know, in our culture, to sit, to just be quiet. Like when you were referencing that, I felt my heart just like open with this like utter wideness. And I had this reflection of this moment in a sacred medicine ceremony where it was just white. Mm. Because for me and my journey and my story to sit and be still and to feel at peace was like the biggest gift that I could have ever given myself. Yeah, You know, like... I think about, it's very rare anymore that I think back to like my roots, like how, how far I've really come. Right. And I do it now more as, as reflection or <laughs> if I'm in a session receiving, mm-hmm. um, and I'm working through something, then the memories will come up. But the difference for me now through a lot of the work that I do is I don't stay there. Yeah. I'm in it long enough to really feel it and give it the space that the feeling needs um, to give the voice of the feeling, maybe the movement of the feeling. And this is that integrative aspect of like somatic processing. Right. Um, a lot of what's coming through now is vocal, you know, like really using sound. Um, and then more recently is doing like womb work mm. and deepening my study and really for the first time in my life feeling like there are fresh new layers of myself that I didn't know existed. Wow. And being really excited. Ignorantly. So I can already (laughs) say like, (laughs) maybe not completely ignorantly. So, but it's like, um, as soon as I said that, it's like, you know, walking into a house, buying this house and be really excited. And then learning that there's a Narnia door. Right. Yeah. Just like, oh my gosh, how magical, but whoa, what the fuck is in here? Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, for the first time, really, really listening to my body. Yeah. 
um, most people who've ever met me at any time in my life um, would sense that I have really strong instincts. Like my hypervigilance is like always going. It's better now. I still sit with my back to the wall in a restaurant. It's just more comfortable. I know that my nervous system will do better if I do that. Right. My husband jokes and says like, oh, it's like you're in the mafia. Right, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, it felt like it. Um, But, you know, to be at this chapter in my life where I get to honor myself in a way that, yeah, may be triggering for my children, Mm -hmm. maybe triggering for my community. Um, I, I certainly know that it's triggering, triggering for my mother. (laughs) (laughs) I've already been sitting here a couple of times thinking like, how elaborate do I want to be? (laughs) And you know, another very triggering statement that people say in the wellness or recovery world is that our parents did the best they could with what they had Mm -hmm. and why that's triggering for people in, in a negative way is because they haven't necessarily done their their resolve, their work around whatever story they have from mm-hmm. their childhood. But I have. I've done my work. And I have such... Oh, I'm going to feel teary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have such tremendous gratitude for my mom. Yeah. And if she is listening to this at some point, I hope she can really hear how genuine that is. Um, we've spent most of my life being in conflict. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Jeffrey Marks is a psychic medium who recently came and did, a, a, sh- a workshop or a reading at the center Okay, and phenomenal, like, uh, and why I'm bringing that up is because during my personal reading that I had with him several months ago, I got to chat with my grandmother who had passed away last February and I had the absolute honor of being by her side when she passed. Wow. That's something that I've never experienced and didn't know that I was going to want it or that I would have the opportunity in such a beautiful way. I got to do Reiki on her. I got Mm. to play my sound bowl. I got to pray with her. I got to um, speak truths to her in that space to help her cross in a really beautiful way. But what happened during my reading with Jeffrey was he got to answer some questions that I never thought I would have answers to about okay. what happened during my childhood. Mm. So the cliff note version is my mom and dad divorced before I was two. My dad got custody. Um, he was incredibly abusive okay. in all forms. Okay. And it shaped a lot of my upbringing, mm-hmm. you know. It was my brother and my dad and I. And okay. my brother wasn't my dad's biological dad. My dad had adopted him when him and my mom got married. Okay. So my brother and I have same mom, different dads. So growing up, I was angry. Mm. So angry. Um, which, that's a lot of the things that I'm working through my body now. So when I think of the ways that we work through our bodies and our experiences, I talk about the mental body, the emotional body, the physical body, and the energetic body. And so I've worked really hard for, um, since 2008 Mm -hmm. on my mental body. 
I've done so much studying. Um, I could have my PhD in psychology by now. Right. Um, I chose a different route. (laughs) No red tape here. Thank you. Um, And then I've done a lot of work with the energetic body. And I would say I've done a lot of work with the physical body. But this chapter that I'm in right now is working through different channels, through the womb, Mm. through the vagina, through the vulva, through the muscles, through the tissues. And so you know, flashback to the story of my, my upbringing and my childhood, my mom lost custody. Mm -hmm. And the question that I always had in my head was what the fuck was happening? Why did my family not fight for my brother and I? Right. And the answer that I got was my, and this was in my reading with Jeffrey and I don't even remember how it came up. Because it wasn't a question that I posed. It was, um, I think my grandmother brought up somebody in my family. I think Jeffrey said, and I'll have to see if I can find the clip and, and, and share it with you at some point. But he's like, she's bringing up somebody that like always had mints, like maybe Altoids or mints. And that was my dad. He was an alcoholic. So he always had a bottle of uh, original Listerine, like the brown one. Wow, yeah, the OG style. The OG that like burnt everything in your mouth and nose and ears and eyes. Clear-cut bacteria, just everything gone. (laughs) It's like sanitizer. (laughs) (laughs) So gross. But he always, always carried Lifesaver mints. Um, So anyway, that's how he came to mind. And um, she basically acknowledged my experience and and said she wants you to know that she's really proud of you for how you have managed and of course tears right yeah and then he basically shared that she spoke directly to what was going on at that time and she said that my dad made it nearly impossible to get in in any fashion okay and I never knew him like that even though he was incredibly abusive, right? He was my sole provider for care. Right. I was a super daddy's girl, um, and my mom wasn't there. She wasn't able to be there. Yeah. And so, you know, this reflection back to be able to see like, how can I find gratitude for all of that? Like, oh, I can even hear my voice rattling. It's like, oh, take a breath. Yeah. Shake it out. <sighs> that um, in this moment, what I'm able to say to myself within my head and my heart is like, I'm safe. Yeah. That I've always been safe. Even when things were happening to my body that I wasn't consenting to. That God had my back, that spirit had my back, that the universe allowed me such magical like abilities as a human being to dissociate, mm-hmm. to placate, to like, right, we all, maybe we don't all know, but the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and now friend. Yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> um, that we have as a species developed said skills to be able to get through an event that is overwhelming to the mind right well a lot of the uh, the studies that are coming out now is that the vagus nerve has a lot to do with that oh yes you know the vagus nerve has that like the part of the polyvagal theory 
uh, talks about how the vagus nerve can put you in a state of depression if it feels it's the safest thing that your body can be doing right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're being abused in a situation, whether f- physically, sexually, you know, verbally abusive, and and your body thinks it's safer for you to put you in like a depressive stasis mode, then guess what? There you're gonna they're gonna do something that you don't agree with, but that yeah. might be the thing that keeps you the safest, you know. It's the safest and it is oftentimes the one thing that people can go into that's justified for care. Mm. So not only does it keep us from essentially feeling like we're in harm's way, it gets us the attention and the love and the compassion that we actually are needing without having to actually ask for it. I never thought about that aspect of it because how hard is it for any human being really to abuse a, a person that's in need yeah. like physical sickness mental sickness whatever it is that's interesting I've never even thought about that yeah it becomes I mean this is all stuff that I have <laughs> had to go through yeah. and learn from it's um it's again it, it feels to me that it's against human nature to allow ourselves to go into such pain and suffering before we reach out for help mm-hmm well, and I do think that it is. I think it's a conditioning. Look at a toddler. We were just talking about toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> How they're sticky and they do whatever they want, right? Yes, they are. Um, but they ask for what they need. Yeah. Until they are taught not to. Right. And that's the thing that happens if you look at the fact that, you know, our formative years, which is birth to eight, and I would even say pre-birth, because I definitely have worked with epigenetics and ancestors. That's some of the stuff that I'm working on now that's in my tissues that I'm like, holy wow, this, like I've heard this and I've, I've talked to it, but I've never actually experienced it in this way in my body where like I was in a session and I literally had my grandmother who I was just referencing Mm -hmm. on my left side as we were working on my psoas. And then as she moved down around my pelvis over to my right side I saw my grandmother on my dad's side and I was like you've never been here before what's happening and I got to see a conversation between my grandmother and my grandfather in reference to my father wow and I'm like oh my god wow so anyway going back to what I was saying is like as little kids we are taught that in our environment it is either acceptable or unacceptable to have our needs met. Hmm. And when done repeatedly for whatever reason, right? This isn't justifying our parents' shitty behavior. Um, Again, sit with me long enough, me meaning any of us, long enough to understand why certain behaviors were had. There's a place for compassion. But we internalize it because that's how we are biologically programmed as children. Everything that's happening in our world at that time is about us. Right, yeah. We don't have the the cognitive ability or psychological development to actually understand that when mom and dad are in a tense conversation, that it has nothing to do with us. Mm. Hence the four agreements. Right. Right? Like, I always tell people, my work is really about teaching how to live and embody the four agreements. Like, how do I live in a world where I don't make assumptions? And I'm not taking things personally. Right, right? Yeah. Somebody cuts you off, it's personal. Yep. Somebody gives you a weird look, it's personal. Your best friend snaps at you for some reason, it's personal, right? Yeah. None of it. And then really, like, how different does it feel to exist when we are impeccable with our word? 
when you don't talk poorly about anybody and, and not even about yourself. Yeah. There's a book I was just reading. Um, gosh, I can't remember the reference of now, but they're talking about that impeccable with your word. And it's like, think about, just think about how much time you can save in life if you'd never have to go back and apologize for something you said or did. Mm-hmm. Right. And just like, so in taking that time to, so with that in mind, yeah, we're still going to fuck up. We're going to still say things that we might be like, oh shit, I didn't mean to say that. But with that in mind, you know, that gives us the opportunity to not speed through these conversations so fucking quick. Like, yeah. hear the person across from you, their full statement, not just the five seconds that you heard and then formed your thought off of because that just triggered you. But hear the full breadth of their statement because they might have just countered their own point and, and you know, dismantled your argument that you're mantling in your head through the conversation that they just had, right? So like listening to the human across from you, the full breadth of what they're saying, you know? I'm giggling because I was like, yes, listen, listen. And then I started formulating what I was going to respond with. And I'm like, oh no, I'm doing it. That's the human human mind. That's what we do. Oh, yeah. It's such a practice. Yeah. And the response in my head that I was going to speak to is, uh, look at our kids. Mm -hmm. They are on screens so many hours of every day. Yeah. And now it's, you know, even in their school system that they're mm-hmm. not even able to get away from. And my son said that he goes to library and they spend their library time on the computer. Oh, really? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Wow. Like, I don't know who I need to have a conversation with, but this seems wrong. There's hundreds, if not thousands of books that you could yeah. be spending your time on. But what that speaks to is the stimulation and the immediate gratification and how this becomes this expectation where when we're in conversation or in sex that we don't take time. Right. We don't take time to listen to each other, but even more than that, we don't take time to listen to ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Like what is, what is your body saying right now? If you were to pause right now, close your eyes. What is your body saying to you right now? My body's saying to me right now that it's prepared. Mm-hmm. It's like prepared to to hold a conversation, prepared to think, but it's in a very active state right now. Okay. Yeah. And how does that feel? I think if you would have asked me that question a while back, I would have said anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it could easily be anxiety but it could also be excitement. It depends on how I approach it, right? Yeah. It's, it's which which way my brain chooses a ticket. So what if you close your eyes right now and feel into your body? Don't think about it, but feel. I feel, I feel at peace, mm-hmm. but I also feel ready. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's the feelings and then there's the judgments and the ideas about the feelings. Yes. And so much of this work for me and my healing and what I'm bringing into my practice as I share it with others is to just feel. Yeah. Right? The, the choose again steps that Diedrich created is the six steps to freedom. Step three is about feeling it. Mm. And even in that practice, as I was learning it in this community, I was incredibly dramatic about my feelings because they're very big for me. And I remember that being a huge um, 
thing that people would come up to me afterwards and talk about like, wow, I'm so inspired by, and you know, like feedback that I would get is like, you're so vulnerable. And which, you know, I understood what that meant for them is like, that's really big and really scary for people to experience that. And now, you know, I started in that work specifically in 2017. So it's been a little while. And now the evolution of that for me is big like that phase of our process to actually give ourselves space to feel the the width and the length and the depth of our emotions of of our memories Mm -hmm. but of our current triggers and so one of the things that 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 philosophy and program has taught me is that no feelings that we have today are new feelings right Mm -hmm. Everybody has the same feeling. So universally, our emotional bodies are the same. We all feel sad. We all feel happy. We all feel glad, right? The whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. There's a long list of emotions um, that you can resource actually um, online that are really great because that's some of the practice is looking at like, what does it mean to feel betrayed? Right. What does it mean to feel abandoned? What does it mean to feel ecstatic? What does it mean to feel blissed? Like to actually consider those emotions and get beyond the happy, mad, glad, or sad. Right, Like how limiting that is, right? Mm -hmm. My kid's favorite emotion right now, universally, all three of them, it doesn't matter, they're 10 years apart between the three of them, uh, annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Everything in the world, all the people is annoying. Yeah. And um, I actually, funny enough, several years ago, had a client who was actually an aesthetic client because I'm also a licensed esthetician for anybody who wants to just come and get a facial and not go into the deeper depths of their soul. Um, (laughs) She said to me, well, you know who is annoying? And I said, who? She goes, everybody. (laughs) She's like, everybody's annoying at one time or another. And I was like, dude, that's so true. And so now my kids hate that statement because I remind them often like, yay, you know, it was annoying. Everybody's annoying. But, um, the, the ability to slow down, right? Like how uncomfortable would it be for most people to sit in a room and be stared at by Ram Dass for three minutes right? before he simply just took a breath and just acknowledged the beauty of that space. Right. So, yeah. Well, the slowness, I mean, we're, we're not in a place where slowness is really accepted anymore, you know, um, whether it's conversations, you know, I think the only time, and then this still is, there's a caveat to this, you know, um, you know, like text messaging, you know, uh, you know, social media messaging, stuff like that, um, is the way a lot of our conversations happen now, you know? Uh, and so, and, and with that, like it's in, in some ways it can be really beautiful because we can communicate with people all over the world, you know, instant message, yeah. all this shit, but it takes the, the art of the conversation to a different, in a different way, because you basically, you have all the time in the world to craft your response, yeah. you know, whether it's something funny you want or some kind of like fucking jab you want to take at somebody, you know, whatever it is, we have all this time in the world or no response at all or no, or you get ghosted, right? Yeah. Left me on red. Like what the fuck, man? <laughs> but, but you know, in, in, in person, the ability to have a conversation is is dissolving really quickly you know to be able to hold space for somebody that might have a differing opinion of you to be able to share that space with somebody and not like force them into your opinion right is it ability or is it willingness hmm 
I don't know. I think it, I think it can be both, right? Mm -hmm. It's the ability, the inability of the person to do it because they're trying to will the other person into their own space, right? Mm -hmm. Like the conversations that I have with people about like, um, anti-racist, uh, you know, remarks or critical race theory or gender, you know, um, um just any, any gender conversation now, right. you know, a lot of times when I talk to these people that have differing views in me, which I'm pro, you know, figure you out, right? That's what I'm, I'm pro figure yeah. you out. I you don't do care you, what boo -boo. it is, right? <laughs> if you're happy identifying as a man, a woman, as, as non-binary, I don't care what you do as long as you find happiness. Like it doesn't matter to me. Like it, it's like the statement, I'm proud of you. I don't fucking matter enough for my pride to be part of your accomplishment. Right. right. Get fucked. Right. I'm, <laughs> I have compersion for you. Right. Mm. I have ultimate happiness for the happiness that you have found. Yes. That's it. Right. And, but having that opportunity to, to really have real life conversations is, is, is going by the wayside and having the, the, so those, I, I think what I'm trying to say is those that do feel they have the ability to share space, find the way to share that space, like hold space for somebody. There's a state, there's a, there's a term I learned recently called, uh, steel manning and it's a debate term. There's two terms there's straw manning and steel manning. Mm -hmm. Straw manning is if we're having uh, you know, a differing opinion conversation and you say, let's say I say something that you perceive as ignorant you'll capitalize on that ignorance, that perceived ignorance, and just tear my, my argument apart. Right. Steel manning is the complete opposite of that, where we're still having a differing opinion, but let's say I do say something stupid or something you, don't, you disagree with or don't, don't have clarity on, you're finding that clarity. You'll help me find that clarity. I want to make sure I understand what you're saying, and not a disparaging way, but like I just want to make sure that I fully understand the breadth of what you're trying to say so I can respond in kind because I don't want to just like attach myself to a point. I want to hear what you have to say. Right. And so in a way, you're helping that person fully understand what they're trying to say, and a lot of times, maybe that's the first time they actually had the opportunity to fully think about and say what they wanted to say without being cut off, being told they're ignorant, being told they're dumb or whatever it is. And through that holding space, you might realize like, shit, I don't actually agree with what I just said. Right. Fuck. Yeah. That was, that sounds really ignorant now that I fully said the thing. And I've had that experience myself. So humbling. You know? Yeah. It's Nobody like, shit. Nobody can see my head nodding, but I'm nodding my head <laughs> like big yes. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's fascinating because that is a huge, huge um, a lesson in communication for being in partnership, mm -hmm. right? Again, going back to not making assumptions, I'm, can we be curious? My 20-year-old and I just had a conversation about this the other day. He was making an assumption about what I was feeling when I was having a conversation with his sister, and I was like, I wasn't actually feeling that way and he said well you blah 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 and he like you know filled in the blank and I said I hear that that's your perspective he goes I feel like you're condescending right now and I said no I just I don't agree with you but I also don't see the point in trying to convince you of my perspective I said if you were curious and asked me a question about what I was feeling then I could have told you and so we got to actually have this really beautiful conversation yeah so one of my mentors taught me that uh to respond to someone, so this goes back to the couple, two different mentors, right? The one mentor that said you can't, um, lessons are not to be taught but caught, mm -hmm. right? And I love that. the other one is this other mentor of mine who said, um, when someone says something 
maybe about you or get shares an idea that you don't agree with, you can simply say that's a really interesting perspective. And I say that to people that I know don't want to catch what I have to teach, right? Yep. <laughs> right. Which my 20 year old son is one of them right now. <laughs> Unless he asks me very specifically, I'm not sharing wisdom. Yeah. Um, that's another one I've learned over the last many of years. It's like, unless somebody's hired me, I am not here to be their coach. So it's this idea that like, I can acknowledge somebody's perspective. I can find it interesting, but I also don't have to agree with it and I don't have to argue with it. And I don't need to inquire deeper if I'm not feeling like I need to. Right. Like it can just be done. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason to like keep digging to show somebody else how wrong you feel they are. Yeah. That's I do this every day when my teenager gets in the car and she rants about how annoying everybody is. <laughs> There's a, uh, I was watching a, a comedian the other day. It was a, a Alec, gosh, I can't remember his last, or their last name, um, a non-binary gentleman or person. And they were saying, uh, in, in, they were saying in the, in the LGBTQ community, the phrase, oh, I love that for you, has <laughs> taken the place of, in the South, they were like, it's like, oh, bless your heart. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's very similar to that same vein of like, like what you're saying, it's like, I'm not going to waste my time getting into this with you. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm not going to share my opinion. I yeah. just love that for you. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I have a friend, um, that her and I have very different spiritual beliefs okay. and I love her. Like she is an incredible human being. I also see her beliefs, mm -hmm. as I see most people's, if I spend more than five minutes with you, I'm really good at um, psychoanalyzing at this <laughs> point in my work and life. Um, and she has some of those phrases that I, I hear her share with me sometimes and I hear her share. And I think it's just a sweet way of being like, I respect you. Mm -hmm. Like, I respect you. I respect your opinion. And... And I can see that if I were looking for reason to be offended, that would be it. Yeah. Right? If I felt like, and, and this was a conversation or has been a conversation that's been coming up frequently with clients and even with my husband recently about like, what does it mean to be grounded in your truth? Mm. And uh, an example that uh, I like to share with clients that actually was another phrase from a mentor of mine is if I walked up to you and told you that you were a purple polka dotted elephant, you'd probably look at me quite confused and, and maybe say, that's an interesting perspective. But if I were to walk up to you and say, you're a shitty fucking dad, mm, mm. if it stings even a little bit, it's because you believe it's true. Mm. And so part of the work and my growth and my evolution and my healing is to really get grounded in what I know to be true. Right. And I know in my heart of hearts, this is the deepest gnosis in my bones, is that we were all born perfect hmm. and that nothing has ever changed that. Yeah. We may have forgotten. We may have shared perspectives with the world and the culture that we live in, but that's not what is actually true. And then there's duality. So mm. good luck figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I was listening to somebody talk a while back and it was a therapist of some sort, but she was saying that, uh, you know, we're, we're born with the, the perfect amount of happiness and light. We're, we're perfect, right? Just like you said. 
but we fall into the trap at least, you know, and I will talk about the Western culture side of it, of, of thinking that we need to pile things on to continue that happiness and to build on that happiness. Right. So we buy things and boats and houses and cars and shoes and all this shit, you know, all the things, whatever it is that your, your thing is, right? And we keep putting all that stuff on, expecting the light to get bigger, but it's diminishing that light. So if we start to finally realize that we take away things and we, that brightness is still there. It's waiting to shine. You just got to remove all that shit that you've piled on around it. You know, the traumas, the material possessions, the ideas, the concepts, the whatever you feel, start to start to remove some of that shit and see what's really down deep there. And, and is that true? That is that true to your happiness? Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, is it a roomy quote that is something along the lines of like, it is not your job to find love, but to remove the blocks mm. to love. I think it is. Yeah. And uh, that is not the exact phrasing, but you'll get the point. Yeah. Google search it. Paraphrasing. <laughs> but it's, you know, this idea that, um, again, something outside of us is going to give us something that we're lacking. Yeah. And thank God that's not true. No, no. Like, and I would say, you know, the pendulum swung really far for me on a lot of the work that I have studied and learned over the last 10 years and it needed to, right? So my journey of recovery really started 2008. I started going to a counselor. I giggle because I started going to that office, taking my son cause he needed help. And then a year later I was going like three times a week just yeah. to keep it together. Um, I also got sober that next year. So in 2009, um, I started going to 12-step meetings mm. and really following that line of care. And when I came upon this work, um, it felt like, you know, a soothing balm to an old wound. Mm. Like how for so long had I been so codependent? And 12-step um, fed a lot of that, right? Yeah. But it was a crutch that I very much needed. Like I needed to have a, a room full of women who had been already doing the work mm -hmm. to hold me up at times to like, to reflect my lovability, right. to accept the parts of myself that I didn't feel like were acceptable. And I just heard one of my guides that says, there are no parts of you, right? <laughs> like I am not a puzzle, yeah. right? I am a whole being. Um, there's another saying that says a drop of cyanide in a pot of honey is no longer a pot of honey. Mm. And so the idea is like any trigger is equally upsetting to my peace and worthy of working through and looking at. Yeah. But you know, to fast forward now, the pendulum had swung really heavy into this other arena of non-duality where I became really, really heady mm. in my work. Yeah. And that created a really strong foundation. And uh, right now I'm actually in the beginning stages. We actually have our first meeting on Wednesday, but I'm in the beginning stages of working with a group of um, other practitioners. It's called my, it's called my wild resolve training group think tank. All right. And the goal of this is to actually create programs for people like ourselves who work in the health and wellness industry that maybe work with energy healing, meditation, breath work, yoga, sound, tapping, hypnotherapy, 
But to add to that, the really, really important aspects of the cognitive side Hmm. that we as practitioners are really good at helping people open cans of worms. And oftentimes those people don't have the community, the skill set yet, or the wherewithal to close that can back up. Right. And then this speaks to integration. Yeah. Right. So whether you're going into a medicine journey, a sound journey, a Reiki journey, a yoga class, going on a walk with a friend, like that these exercises are meant to give us access to ourselves in a really particular and sacred way. Mm -hmm. But it's often, um, it doesn't blame it. So I talk a little bit about like resolving the unresolved or completing the incomplete. So if you look back at your memory bank mm-hmm. of all of the, you know, unresolved traumas, or basically if you look back and have any memories where there's still any emotions that are triggered that are not peaceful, then we have work to do. Right. Right. So this program that I'm hoping to launch is going to encompass all of those different modalities. And I'd like to bring in different teachers for different segments, but then there's going to be a really strong piece on how do you get your mind right? Because you can say mantras all day long. You can use positive affirmations all day long, but if you don't have your shit rooted in truth, which comes from a spiritual foundation, then it's not sustainable. Right. And this is where I see, um, a really important aspect of evolution within the healing world. Yeah. So the pendulum swung really far in that area because I think that this was something I was supposed to be sharing and teaching in the world. Yeah. Um, and that's how I would say that I have really great confidence in success in the clients that I work with is because they can go and access all of these other methods And they know that within their mind, they have an exercise that they can process to really come back to a place of peace. Yeah. Now, of course, like you mentioned the vagus nerve, there's like so many other things to also help regulate and really help support like the nervous system. And that's an area that I have some information on and Mm. I have my own experience with, um, but it's also an area that I could greatly grow yeah this is where you know again gratitude that i that my path has led me the way that it did because i came from a counselor's office that thankfully gracefully led me into the 12-step world Mm -hmm. um, where i really learned how mentorship works and i learned how to ask for help and and to know without question that it's available to me right even if it's a complete stranger, right? And that is something that I will never forget when it comes to the 12-step world is I remember the women, because I <laughs> I was going to women's groups because I knew that if I went to men's groups, it wasn't going to go well. Yeah. <laughs> so, or not men's group, but they have mixed ahead. groups. Yeah. Um, and they said, let us love you until you learn to love yourself. Hmm. And I appreciated that on so many levels yeah. because I had so much, and and I wouldn't say I have it anymore, but... There's a, there's a lesson in A Course in Miracles. It's lesson 93, and it's called Light, Joy, and Peace. Um, and it talks about how what it means for us as human beings to, be, to believe that we are the home of evil, darkness, and sin. Oh. That like we've been taught that to be born is to be a sin, 
Mm. I was actually just watching a docu-series the other day for like a brief brain shut off. Mm. And it was about this church thing. And, and he actually used those words. And I was just like, okay, now I know a little wow. bit more of where it's all come from. Holy shit. But to genuinely get to a point where I recognize what a lie that is. Mm-hmm. That like nobody, it, I don't care what crime you've committed or how horrible you think you are. One of the most pivotal moments for anybody who works with me is the moment that I ask you to turn around and tell me the deepest, darkest secret that you thought you'd take to the grave. Hmm. And I don't usually tell them that we're going to do that that week. They're always like, why didn't you prepare me? And I'm like, because I knew you would skip this week's session yeah. <laughs> and not come back. Yeah. But that was something I learned in AA. Yeah. Right? Like, what a relief to be able to share these things that like weigh so heavily on our hearts that we carry such tremendous guilt and shame and to be able to find forgiveness for ourselves. To to not only see like that, yes, we own that it was a mistake, but also to see how that mistake actually developed. So what I talk to people about is like that our behavior stems from feelings and our feelings stem from beliefs. Hmm. So when we clean up our beliefs about ourselves, our feelings and our behaviors change. Right. And this goes back to, you know, what are we rooted in? So if I know that I'm a good person mm-hmm. and I'm worthy of being loved and respected and honored, then that's what I emanate in the world. And if anything comes inside of my field that doesn't resonate with that, I can see it and I can just let it go. If I'm believing that I'm bad and guilty and shameful, I'm going to find evidence of that. Right. And this is where, you know, working with kids and adolescents and youth is really like a huge, I think, gap in space. Although my daughter has a counselor right now that I absolutely love who (laughs) she don't want to work with any of my people, believe it or not. (laughs) So um, we found a counselor that um, is young and and also has studied different belief systems and things like that and is helping her. But I think about the disservice that we as a society have deemed as credible and valuable for uh, healing, repairing, and sustaining our mental health. Right. And that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down. <laughs> but, you know, that when we understand what is true about ourselves, that is what we reflect But part of that is making up your mind and deciding for yourself what is true. Yeah. And inside of that is feeling what is true for you. And what a beautiful way to honor ourselves and really learn how to live from our heart space. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of that comes from self-exploration, but also through conversation, you Mm -hmm. know, and... And those are those things that, that we can't, at least not right now, we're not as interactive as we can be maybe in the future with the technology that we have to where, like, if you're just constantly watching things, you're being told right. over and over and over again. Are you really interacting with what you're being told or are you just receiving that information, right? Mm-hmm. And if you start to receive the similar type of information over and over again, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously, maybe that's what our belief system starts to be based off of. Right. right? And so again, if you're always just being told like, 
this is the way the world is. This is the way society is. This is the way that you're going to be. This is the way you create success in life, whatever it is, right? But you don't have an avenue to where you can actually say like, like I, I so much encourage my kids right now because they're at that age. Like my oldest is in her master's program and my youngest is you know, starting high school. And we talk about like, what do you want to do? Like what, what kind of avenue do you want to get into learning and shit like that? And, and I'm basically doing that to get her to start fishing out this conversation in her own head about like what she wants. Because originally when we asked her that, she was like, I want to be a dental hygienist. Mm-hmm. Your mom's a dental hygienist. She's like, yeah, it seems like it's a good job. Maybe it is. Great. Right. But that's all, that's the only barometer you have right now is your mom's dental hygienist, right? Your stepdad does internet stuff. It's a little more abstract, right? That's the only structured job that you know. So you're going to just revert to that and maybe your schooling starts at that, but you have no idea if that's actually what you want to do. So like having those conversations in a live atmosphere, you know, where you can hold space and not, not as, you know, as the adult in in this situation, not so I can coerce her Mm -hmm. into a place, but just so I can ask those probing questions to know, like, let her know that there's other shit out there. Like if you would have asked me 20 years ago, if I'd be sitting here holding a podcast, (laughs) doing energy work and banging on gongs for a living, I'd be like, you're fucking high. Right. Which I probably was, right? But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now it's like, this is all I want to do. And it's like, if I didn't have an opportunity to know that the restaurant industry for me didn't serve me anymore, I was put into a yoga community, whether I realized I was put there or if I chose to go there, right? Mm-hmm. My ego tells me I, t- I chose, but reality, like the universe put me in that <laughs> yoga fucking studio yeah. to show me that there's a different way to live. There's a different box you can put yourself into that doesn't require a salary or insurance or a 401k or some fucking acronym after your name. Right. Right. This is all just you living the life that you feel is the best for you. Yeah. So finding those avenues to where we can flush that out. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, I didn't read it, but I went through parts of it with a group many years ago, a book called From Good to Great. I read it a couple times actually. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, this is one thing that I've been encouraging my son to do is to create the diagram where you choose what are you best at the world in, mm-hmm. what do you absolutely love to do, and what drives your economic engine, and where do those three things intersect, and that's what you focus on. And that's how I have decided to stick with my career path mm. that I have because um, a lot of those things felt like they were in conflict for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, looking at my world today, it's it's fascinating and I love it. Um, and I feel like the more that this happens, the more I'm being called deeper into this work of like sexuality. And as um, I've had people coming to me for years with their... Um, challenges in the relationships with intimacy, with sex, with embodiment, with movement. Um, I oftentimes have people coming to me wanting to work on really being in their feminine, which is really funny to me because I run incredibly masculine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm like, um, I was talk. I was on a hike with a couple of girlfriends that are both lesbians, and this was when I was single and I was you know, deciding whether or not I was monogamous or non-monogamous. And I knew that I was queer, but I was like, where, you know, where am I going? And I was asking them, and I was like, do you guys think that I'm like lipstick or am I femme? And they're like, no girl, you're super femme. And I was like, but I'd only look girly. Like (laughs) I don't operate that way. And it was really funny to like hear their perspective. Cause I was like, you guys are the gurus. Like you've been doing this for a long time. And matter of fact, I was dating a woman who was very much more androgynous. Okay. And I was still the masculine one in our partnership. Okay. 
So like there's these assumptions that have been made about me and what people perceive. And I feel like now in this chapter in my life, I'm finally getting to learn why that is. Like, why do I run masculine? Right. And what do I actually need to do to bring balance into that? And you were just talking about, you know, this wellness world. And this is another conversation I've been having with a lot of healers, um, medicine practitioners, um, and just facilitators in general, is that so much of even our healing space is incredibly masculine. Yes. And it's not bad. Right. I don't th- like, th- and this is again going back to that qu- that statement that I made. It's there's no right side, there's no wrong side. It's can we bring it together and bring mm-hmm. balance? And for me, in my journey with where I'm at right now and what I'm studying, it's very, very tantric. How do I slow down, listen to my body, and be patient? Like, what is it? What does it actually mean to surrender? Right. And. I was in Portland a couple weeks ago doing another training along this work and uh, it was the next day and I had time and so I ended up going to ecstatic dance in Portland. Okay. And what an amazing group. Like I am actually really excited. I was like, I'll drive to Portland again just to go to that group, (laughs) Um, which the Seattle scene is super amazing. If you haven't gone to Ohm Culture already. I've been there, but not for ecstatic dance. Yeah. So Tuesdays and Thursday nights at eight o'clock, they have an incredible group. Um, And they have a lot of other things going on there too, other ecstatic dances. And actually this weekend they have um, Bloom Dance, which is a mini festival. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of people reached out to me. I'll be in Spokane this weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I ended up partner dancing with this guy that was incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. And if there's a, like, I always joke about how my first love was dance and then music. Um, they are the place where I feel most at home in my body. And then meditation and sex. Those are like where I can completely get out of my head and just be really present with my breath, with my body, with sensation. Right. So here's me post-workshop of doing some yoni and lingam work and just feeling like really in my body. And I go into this huge group. I've never been there before. But there's this guy that's doing a lot of partner dance and, um, if you've ever been to ecstatic dance and, and you are familiar with partner dance, there's a way that you move into it, which is like, it has to be very consenting. Okay. So you approach each other and usually it's eye contact. And then there's a little bit of like mirroring dancing and then maybe your hands touch for the first time. And then you move into that. Mm-hmm. If you are experienced enough, you get into a kind of partner dance where your bodies blend and merge together mm. and you become one, Right. And I've had very few experiences where I have felt completely supported in this, uh, in this way that I had with this person. And so like, I think we danced usually in these scenes, you kind of dance with each other for a song and then you move on. Mm -hmm. And, um, I danced with this person for two songs and it just was heaven. Mm. And we ended up chatting afterwards and I told him, um, that I really appreciated how he held space for me. And at one point I have, I had to keep reminding myself to let go of trying to guide the movement. Mm. 
And then I also shared with him at one point we were dancing and his head was on my chest and we were kind of just swaying back and forth. And I said, in that moment, I had this thought of like, can I hold space for you and your masculine? And his response was so beautiful. He said, you allowing yourself to be fully in your feminine and surrendering was holding me in my masculine. Wow. And I was, I told him, I was like, I'm really grateful for you saying that because that is one of my sticking points. Uh, I've talked a lot about beliefs. Mm -hmm. I have a belief that to surrender and be cared for, for by another person is a burden. Right. Yeah. This is a very common belief that people have with yeah. lots of, you know, growing up and being latchkey kids and needing things and not having the money for it or whatever it may right. be, or the parent didn't have the capacity and the bandwidth to be present, whatever it is. Right. And so this for me has been a <clears throat> big exercise is like, how do I trust <laughs> that who I am and what I need and the pace in which I am willing to soften and open is absolutely okay. Yeah. God, that's, and it's, it's so interesting. Cause like, that's a message that it, paraphrasing, but that's a message that I tell people all the time, mm-hmm. but it's not one that I've ever really found for myself that lands, you know, I mean the, the, the whole like feeling like you're a burden, that's probably one of the strongest strongest negative self-talks that I have to date and that I've tried my hardest to work on and it just sticks around. Yeah. The, I think the awareness that it's there now is, is, is better because I can at least hear the stories going along uh, around it, you know, supporting yeah. that. But that, that, that desire to not be a burden and to put yourself in places of, of, of a non-safety just from the, that, that sheer fact of like, I just don't want to be a burden to somebody else. So I guess I'll take it. Yeah. I guess I'll just accept saying this, yes you when know? you mean no. Hundred percent. If we get down to the basics of that, it's it's rape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I don't use that word lightly, and I know that it usually stings when people hear it, but it is one of those things that we have to look at as a culture. Right. The other one that's huge in in the world of healing is this one. I just put this sticker. It was a client that gave this to me. You're always enough and never too much. I love that. So God people always. Always is a word I use too often, but it's very common. Um, People either have a belief that they're not enough or that they're too much. Yeah. And this is where you find yourselves in partnership. So are you the not enough or are you the too much in your relationship? I was just about to say that. It's so funny because Monica (laughs) tells me all the time that people tell her she's too much. Yeah. And and how how the hell is... what? So I'm not rationalizing this at all, but in my head, I'm telling myself I'm not enough. Right. I, it, that's my own story. You know, what that believes, believe what that believes. Right. But it, to me, it's, I, maybe I'm just, cause I'm used to it. I have a better understanding of how I can manage my own shitty self-talk to myself. Mm-hmm. But if I constantly had people coming up to me and telling me that I'm not enough as much as, you know, what, you know, Monica, my fiance is, is grown up people telling her she's too much. She's a boisterous person. She's got yeah. big personality. She loves to talk, loves to laugh, yeah. loves to be a human. Right. Yeah. And that can be kind of jarring for some people that aren't comfortable with that humanity. Right. And so to, to, to hear her tell, I remember it was maybe a year or so in our relationship, but we've known each other forever. But for her to hear her tell me that that's one of those things is like, I, I'm, people tell me I'm too much. 
what the fuck does that mean? Too much of what? Too much of a human being? Like, God damn it. Be a human being. Be out there. You know, be yeah. boisterous. Be, be adventurous, you know? Yeah, this speaks to a few different things for me. Um, so we talk about, like, evidence collecting, right? Mm-hmm. This, to me, speaks of um, uh, karmic lessons. Um, it speaks to, like, if I have a belief, this is Ram Dass's stuff, right? So he, I think it's Ram Dass. It's either Ram Dass or Wayne Dyer now. I always get these two mixed up <laughs> in this quote specifically. But it's like, the saying is, um, I have to see it to believe it. Mm. But he flipped it and he said, I have to believe it to see it. So if I change my belief about myself, those naysayers, supposedly, whoever they are, our teachers, right, that mm-hmm. come in to trigger this, yep. they will dissolve because I've decided that's not actually true about myself. Mm-hmm. The What you were just speaking of is the practice of it, right? So when somebody comes up to me and is demonstrating that, that may actually be true for that person. Fair. I may be too much mm-hmm. for you. I actually did a quote or a post on this, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And it's a boudoir session of me in a lacy top okay, uh, wearing black stilettos flipping off the camera. Okay. And across my chest, I put on the image, if I'm too much for you, go find less. And I mean that. Yeah. Which is like, I am too much for people because I'm the same way. I'm very loud. I mean, it's tempered down a lot. Um but when I'm passionate about something, I will not fucking back down just because somebody else has a different idea. Right. Um, and so, but regardless of the perception, I have to hold on to the idea that I am perfect mm-hmm. just as I am with all of my imperfect characteristics. It, it also begs of me to understand and learn about myself. Like what developed that character within me for many years of my life? I was always told, you're just acting like that for attention. Mm. So let's dissect that for a minute. What does it mean for someone who is asking for attention? What are they actually asking for? Love and acceptance. Yes, for love. Can we ever judge somebody for wanting to feel loved? No, but we say it to kids all the time. Right. And then they grow up like Mon and I and decide like, oh, I'm too much. And so I have to either shrink myself or stay away or manipulate my, you know, and it it becomes exhausting and then eventually it becomes disease. Yep. Totally. So when we change our perspective around that and decide I'm not too much, I am. So part of that forgiveness for me is forgive me for believing that there's something wrong with me Yeah. and thank God that's not true. (laughs) And the more that I remember that. The more that I remember that spirit or creator created me perfectly in this universe, the easier that those situations become. And then over time, they dissolve. Right. This to me is Jai Ganesh, right? Bringer of obstacles, remover of obstacles. Totally. If I don't have anything left to learn in this situation, it's done. Right. So the people in my world that still preach and sing that tune would probably be my kid's dad. Both okay. of them, actually. Okay. On occasion, my mom, unintentionally, she's gotten better. Yeah. Um, She's gotten better because I've stopped reacting, and I've also stopped bringing things to her that I know she would have a shitty reaction to, because she's no longer the evidence that I'm needing to collect towards there being something wrong with me. Right, right. So it becomes this, like, 
way that we change our worlds. Like I no longer want to exist as the person that is too much. But if someone perceives me as too much, I understand that that's simply their projection of their belief that there's something wrong with them. Right. And instead of now like being triggered by that and trying to prove that you aren't too much Mm -hmm. or you are enough, it's like, yeah, cool. All right. You, that's an interesting perspective. I love, you know, I love that for you. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The big middle finger. Oh, I used to joke and my, my one teacher would say, are you sure you're neutral in that? I used to call drivers that drive not so great in my opinion, dickheads. Okay. And he was like, I feel like you should really process that. And I was like, no, I'm not mad. Like, I'm just like, whatever, fuck you, dickhead. And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, no, really. Like, yes, light, joy, and peace abide in them. I I absolutely 100% agree with that. However, they don't know how to use their blinker or merge properly. So it's okay. It's a neutral fact. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't have any judgment, right? And how I know that is my body. My body will tell me if I'm actually upset about something. Yeah. Another one that is common, and it's funny because I keep being like, I want to talk more about sex. And we keep coming back to this. So I'm just going to roll with it. But um, is that like, my body is always going to be a radar for when I am triggered. Mm -hmm. And something that is really commonly misperceived in this world is numbness. Or dissociation. Yeah. And I guess I could bring that into a segue of sex because that is a huge issue for women today. Right. Is being numb vaginally or experiencing pain. And going back to what we were talking about of saying yes when we mean no. Um, Sasha Sasha Cobra. I don't know if you know who she is. The name. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a pretty well-known teacher in like the tantric energy world. Okay. Um kudos to her like she definitely has a practice that I find um, inspiring and lifestyles are different right I know better than to compare yeah Um, but uh, she was talking in one of her videos that I watched about women who have uh, chronic yeast infections or BV flares okay and that she has found that when taking the time to inquire and interview a lot of these women that she's worked with that oftentimes they're having sex with people they don't want to or sex in a way that they don't want to whether it's lacking of fulfillment or just you know coercion or you know pressure yeah and um i just find that so truth-telling to the somatics of our body because again, how do we say no, right? We talked about depression, right? Right. Depression can be a manifestation of us refusing to interact with certain behaviors or lots of things. Hmm. But also, if we can't say no sexually to a partner, then we will manifest something that will be a block. Right. And I got to have a conversation with my daughter. It's funny. I'm like, am I going to have her watch or, or listen to this? Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to have a really powerful conversation with her yesterday that I shared with my private group that I have on Telegram this morning as like a huge win. But we were having one-on-one time yesterday. We went to the Goodwill bins, which I love that she goes there or she loves going there. And I can go like once a year. Um, <laughs> and on our drive back, I said, okay. Any questions you want to ask, I won't prod, I won't 
say anything, but I just want you to be able to ask. And we almost always end up talking about sex, drugs, rock and roll. Cool. And I was more thinking that she was going to go down the lines of like drugs and, and sex. But she asked me about like a yeast infection. Mm. She's like, how do you know? And what she, her words, my interpretation of her words were basically like, what is a vagina supposed to smell like? Fair. And I got to have a really freaking powerful conversation with her about smelling her own vagina. Uh, please let's normalize all of that. Looking, <laughs> touching, all yes. that. Yeah, knowing your body. So <laughs> she was like, and I told her, I said, usually for me, I'll do it after I've showered. Mm-hmm. She goes, but if I've showered, it doesn't really smell like anything. And I said, well, are you putting your finger inside? And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, not with your long fingernails because that's probably really painful. Yeah, we'll feel good. She has these ridiculous long nails that she wears a lot of times. But I was like, if you want to smell your actual vagina, you have to put your fingers inside. Yeah. And so just being able to be a mother that feels grounded in this conversation that can have a conversation with my teen Mm. to empower her to be informed of her own body. Yeah. Like, you know, when it came time for her to have a boyfriend and exploring these things, I don't want to put too much of her information out there. I really got to reparent myself. And this is such a powerful experience with having children. Yeah. Like, of course we all want to be better than our parents were. And I don't think that there's anything bad in doing that, but it was like, I, I think I was this year's old before I really like started learning how to have a relationship with my body in that way, whether it's with my menstruation and my blood, whether it's with my discharge, whether it's with other females and having conversations and normalizing like mm-hmm. these relationships, you know, we as women have been through a lot of yes. what it means to be in relationship with the quote unquote magic of our bodies and, um, I just felt giddy that's after having that conversation with her yesterday. Good. It's so, a, I mean, we need, uh, that's something that Monica talks a lot about in her women's circles that she does and, and just normalizing the human experience. Like, let's talk about menstruation. Let's talk about prostate. Let's talk about like everything. Right. So it doesn't seem weird anymore. Right. Yeah. The fact that like women used to have to go sit in a fucking red tent because it was like, seen as dirty right yeah. it's like and but then but to women's fucking benefit or, or accreditation <laughs> i was gonna say it's a yes and there. I, it is right because <laughs> it's like well you know women are like oh well, i guess we're banished this red tent we're just gonna do awesome shit in this fucking red tent as women that are doing the things that women do naturally yeah like good for you for taking something that could be like looked at as shunned and being like hey i'm gonna be in the fucking red tent doing yeah. cool ass cool shit you know <laughs> Like, it's God perspective. Damn. It is, right? It's exactly. Really, right? And then there was the feminist movement where we decided to wear shoulder pads and try to do it all. And that fucked us royally. And yeah. I think that that's what we're repairing from. I, it's I, like, I'm not supposed to work a full-time job, be the breadwinner and be a mother and be a woman and be a sister and be a daughter and right. be a wife. Like, that is not balanced in any fashion. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, the red tent initially was a shit show. Yeah. But then I think we as women recognize like, oh, there's a reason why half of us bleed with the new moon and half of us bleed with the full moon. And then there's those that are sprinkled in between and transitioning because we have to go through all of those phases. Right. I mean, that was me, you know, I told you as I was getting here chatting with Hannah and us discussing like where we are, how grounded we feel versus how ignited and aroused we feel. And, and then my question is like, well, where are you at in your bleed? 
It's mm-hmm. like there is so much to be said. And for me personally, some of my history, which is kind of fascinating, is going back and looking at all of the different mental health labels that I was considering at certain times in my life and how drastically that has changed as I, one, got sober. Mm. So huge, right? Like nobody should be judged on their mental health and well-being if they're drinking regularly or using drugs regularly (laughs) or anything really that's mind-altering regularly. Um, But in addition to that, like learning what it means to be a body who has um, not just a circadian rhythm that we all share, but an arcadian rhythm. Mm that men's bodies cycle in 24 hours, which is why we have a Monday through Friday work schedule, and women's bodies cycle every 28 days. And you may know this already because you're pretty well informed in these worlds, but if you take a man's day and you stretch it out over a month, our menstruation phase is your 3 to 5 p.m. when your testosterone levels dip and you need to take a nap. That's it's spot on a hundred percent for me. I, I crash between three and five. I need a 20 minute nap, 15 minute nap Yep. back in back feeling like a human again. Yeah. And so when we look at the beauty that that offers us in relationship to ourselves and each other, this is how we actually naturally balance each other out. Mm. And so, you know, going back to listening to our bodies and like, how do I learn how to surrender to the role that I am naturally and cosmically for me designed to play, it's through a lot of unlearning. Yeah. It's through a lot of forgiveness of myself and my ancestors and really of our culture and to not be perpetuating the divide. Like you were saying, if I see something and I'm judging it and I'm like, fuck that. And I get rowdy and angry. It's, you know, it's the, the kettle calling. What does that say? Pot calling the kettle black. Yep. There you go. Yep. I, I wanted to look that up. I'm like, why do we say that? Cause it's, I'm like, are they all black? <laughs> I, I think so. And I, you know, cause I've, I've similarly, I, as I started to become more sensitive to terms that we're using, like I wanted right. to make sure that wasn't a racist term. And right. that, to my understanding, that's not a racist term because <laughs> okay. most pots and kettles were black Yes, and cause they, they sit in the coals this is before we really had ovens and shit. Right. Yeah. So the pot and the kettle are both <laughs> black. So it's, right. I don't think there's racism behind it. And if yes. I'm, if I'm wrong, please let me know because I'm, hundred percent okay with admitting my ignorance, right? Yes. <laughs> Let me know. Sure. Reach out to me if you need to. Totally. Yeah. But it, you know, it's the idea that, um, we're all just doing the best we can. And I love the Ram Dass quote. I think that this is, you know, he's been in through thread through and through here is, mm-hmm. you know, we're all just walking each other home. That's oh, my favorite. And it's one of my favorites how beautiful and how graceful can we be in finding compassion for ourselves and for each other and truly like beginning to listen to our own heart's song. Mm. Like the way that we ache for connection and yet refuse it. Right. I think about again, like our, our greatest teachers are our kids. Mm -hmm. Look at the behavior that is happening with them and, and to reflect on our own childhood you know, like what conditioning did we grow up on and what resonates? What can you take from it and, and keep, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't necessarily grow up with the most loving present family, but holy shit, can I like MacGyver the hell out of something? Like my mom, uh, I didn't get her aesthetic. Um, I used to joke that she was a mix between Martha Stewart and Bob Vila. 
Oh shit, love that. <laughs> yeah. Like all the house was always decorated um to whatever holiday was happening. It was always clean and like aesthetically things all matched. But she could also like mechanically fix shit, MacGyver things, work yeah. on things. I inherited that. I joked with you about being in the kitchen. I was like, mm-hmm. put me outside, I'll dig a hole, I will put things back together, I will fix a dryer. Please don't ask me to go into the kitchen. Yeah. And then the moment I said that, I was like, is this have something to do with my refusal to be feminine? (laughs) (laughs) And what are my judgments about the roles that we play in this life? And so, you know, I could go down that rabbit hole. But, um, and actually, as I say that, I'm like, I have some fear about being creative with food. And that I know I can see the line. It stems from my poverty. Mm, like mm. we didn't eat well as kids. And right. to me today, when I feel that the most wealthy, it's when I have fresh produce and a full refrigerator. Like that is when I feel like I have arrived. Yeah. And so, you know, just to kind of speak to <laughs> the roles and, um, yeah, just taking away the tidbits that have been really beautiful and powerful for us to be able to be who we are today Mm -hmm. and not to negate the, the, the positive influence that those painful moments have created for us. Yeah. And that's, again, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but that's that journey that, you know, if somebody else tells you that it can trigger you and infuriate you. But when you find that answer on your own, or you're led to that understanding and you really believe and embrace it, then that's, it's not lost, yeah. right? It's, there's a lesson that's been learned. And if we can learn a lesson, then our time's not wasted. Yeah. Then we feel like we've, we've accomplished something, you know? So taking those opportunities to give yourself an, an option to learn, you know, to know that you're not the one that's always right, that there's something else that can be added in there to, to help add clarity. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of like universal wisdom. Hmm. You know, there's, and I get it like, you know, on, on the world of the interwebs and content being stolen and things like that, it's really challenging for some who are walking through that role in this lifetime. But I think about, um, (laughs) like there's no word that's never not been said. Right. Like, you know, so whether or not we're quoting Ram Dass or Wayne Dyer, like, they're all teachers and we all are teachers and we are all students. And so can we, yes, give credit when credit's due, but also not guilt or shame ourselves when we have an idea that maybe sounds similar or relative in another fashion. And, um, there was somebody that I saw posted a video a few weeks ago and she was saying that, um, she said that she had shared a program idea with her mentor a few months back and recently saw that her mentor had produced a program with the exact name that she had given her. Mm. And she goes, and this part surprised me. I wasn't expecting this. She goes, the truth is, is I could have been pissed. I could have been irate because she knew that I had given her that idea and she used it. Yeah. She goes, but the reality is I didn't do shit with it. That is a beautiful statement. Yeah. That is a very beautiful, bold statement. Yeah. There's a, there's a interview. <clears throat> I've heard this from two different musicians now. One from Rick Ross, Rick Rubin. It's not, not Rick Ross. 
Maybe, yeah, you fucking never know, right? right? Don't know much about Rick Ross, but Rick Rubin, you know, amazing music producer of multiple multiple genres for multiple decades, just fantastic human being from what I gather of him. And then uh, the other one was Jack White from mm-hmm. the White Stripes and now mm-hmm. Recontours and all that stuff. But basically, they both said in their own way was, you have an antenna as a human being that is sticking up, that is able to attract the shit that you know how to do shit with, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's music, art, creative, writing, whatever it is, right? Mechanical, all that stuff, right? But your antenna is up there and that's catching all the frequencies that you know what to do with. Now, let's say that like this, and this is what Jack White was saying, he's like, so if you think you're writing the song, you're, you're fucked up, right? right. The, the, you've, you've, uh, your antenna caught the idea and now that's using you for the creativeness that you have to get the point across for the song or the whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't do anything with it, it's not like that's, that stops, right? It's not that idea stops. It's going to find the next antenna that can do something with it. Yeah. So if you don't do anything with it, Tough shit. You've lost your opportunity. It's not your idea, right. right? You might have, it might have come across your thought process. But I mean, if you look at things like physics, right? Physics was developed in multiple parts of the world before we had worldwide communication. Yeah. Very, very similarly, mathematics, sciences, all these things have countless stories about that happening. That it's not saying that like, Somebody from Germany stole the idea of physics from somebody in the United States. No, there's no fucking way that could have happened. Right. Right. That idea was out there ready to be birthed yeah. and it needed the opportunity for whatever beings to, to, to manifest that thing throughout them. Right. So I love that statement because that's, that's that brutal honesty of, I had the opportunity. It could have came through me and it still can in its own manifestation. Yeah. But the fact that somebody else took it, man, good for you. You're yeah. doing good shit with it. You know? Yeah, it, that's a that's a hard that's a hard one to get to. It it is, and I think what's beautiful about it is like what you said is it doesn't mean that it's a dead end for that person. You know, yeah, sure, we have trademarking laws and things like that, and I think that that's worthy of respecting. Totally, yeah. And also looking at like if you're not respecting it, why is that happening? Right? Yeah. Like, there's so many d- different ways that you can consider it. But it reminds me of that. Um, that I always just want to call it the monkey thing. Like there was something that a behavior had started with certain monkeys in certain part of the world. And then all of a sudden monkeys on the other part of the world were doing the same thing. And they were like, how on earth could they have communicated that? And so I think of that antenna as the one mind. And what I think is really potent for people who are attuned to energy healing is that is exactly what we are being asked to do. And so I've heard different thoughts and, and, and theories about different styles of Reiki training and one being better than the other. Mm, And I'm like, seriously, again, here's that division of separation. One's got to be better than the other. And it's like, isn't it all the same? Mm -hmm. Aren't we all sourcing from the same source? So how could anything be better than the other? Like, and I would say as a practitioner of, of doing energy work, when I'm not in alignment, I will feel it. If I if my ego is involved, if I'm having attachment, I will feel it. Right. And that is not sustainable. Right. So, yeah, I love the I actually had a conversation with somebody just on on that and I know we're really going long on time here, but uh the uh uh the person was talking about Sekem Reiki. Right. Oh, okay. And that's uh, the Egyptian form of Reiki that predates the Japanese form of Reiki and blah, blah, blah. Right. Everything has an origin point and shit. It might even go older than Egypt. Right. We have no idea. But right. this person, when they were telling me this was is almost like a gotcha. Right. Mm-hmm. I practice Sekem. 
what I learned about that is the Reiki that you've learned and J- the Japanese style of Reiki that was brought over by Madame Takata and, you know, Usui and all that shit. Basically, the symbols mean like soup or like hot carpet, you know, <laughs> shit like that. And I'm like, okay, okay, all right. I get what you're saying, but... That's an interesting perspective you have. That's an interesting perspective you have, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and my, but my question to this person was... But, okay, so let's discount all the people that I've personally had experiences with with this form of energy healing and that I've had what would be considered success, right? Yeah. This form of Reiki has now been practiced for hundreds of years, right, in the United States. And so if me drawing the symbol of a say hey K on somebody is really the, the fucking meaning of hot carpet, but that person finds relief from the symbol of hot carpet, what the fuck is wrong with that, right? It's, it's obviously working, right? So it's, it's that same idea. It's like, call it what you want. Say who started whatever. Say who stole it from whoever. I don't fucking care. The fact that it's working for people and people are finding peace, it's all that matters. Remember right? that, that thing I was talking about, the power of the mind. Right, definitely. Right? You know? So if the mind's on board and it believes that it's a positive, loving source, it's going to be a positive, loving force. Yes. So it's it's really like, can we acknowledge where foul has happened, where mistakes have been made, mm-hmm. and can we actually learn what is being asked of these circumstances in this situation? Right. And I think that that's, I think it's challenging for those of us who are still meant to be in the roles of feeling victimized. Right. Right. There's some validation that is needing to be happened for that person to be able to come back into that place of gratitude and wholeness. And it's not an easy trek. No. Like if I could tell you how many times I had to go through rage before I could get to a place of grace, like it still happened. It happened last week and holy shit, did it come out of left field? I was like, (laughs) wait, I've done this. And I was like, oh, here I am saying that thing that I hear people say all the time. I've dealt with this. We've already processed this shit. And so it was just like, Oh, but it's different this time. Yeah. And and the way that it was different for me was that I got to voice in ways that I've been leading people through processes in a long time. And what I also heard was, you know what to do. You've just not been doing it for yourself. So I've been intuitively guided on how to help people through this in this almost exact way. Yeah. And yet... I have what I also refer to as the Cinderella complex. Okay. <laughs> it's when I want to be rescued. I want my Prince Charming to come in and, and, and you know, sweep me off my feet and take mm-hmm. me away from all the burdensome chores. Um, I'm not the only one, thankfully. Most of my clients, most humans have it in oh, some I've capacity. Oh, I've got that. Almost definitely. Right? I want somebody to come take care of me, sweep me off my feet. Yep. Hell yeah. Let's do that. So what I found alive in my left calf was that I have often been rooted in the idea that I have to be sick or broken in order to be receive care. Mm. And then what I also heard was that I know what to do. I'm not doing it for myself. And what I've always known about myself is that I love to work with other people in healing. And so what I've been seeking is someone who works like me to be able to provide me my services in that same way. Gotcha. Which is also part of what made me want to create this training program. Mm. Um, I've, I've been in the world for, like I did my Reiki certification in 08. Okay. And then I didn't touch it for many years because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. 
right? yep. I had to make stories. it more complicated. Yep. So fast forward, getting an opportunity to work with someone who does similar work was really profound. And so fascinatingly enough, we were moving into womb work mm-hmm. and we didn't even get there because she started on my back and I had rage living in my shoulder mm. that was stemming from my the abuse that I experienced with my dad. Right. And so I got to do shaking, I got to do screaming, I got to do pillow punching, I got to do all of that physical movement. And what came up during that time was this is embarrassing. I feel like an idiot. What the fuck are you doing? Right? All of that that was right. criticizing. And I realized that even as a little kid, I didn't feel like I could have a tantrum. And so I went to overdrive, to numb, to dissociate. And for years, I had no memory of my childhood. Actually, it wasn't until I started doing this work specifically that I'd be able to start accessing memories. Yeah. So anyway, I got to do some really deep release work. And I am super stoked to actually be... Um, I'm converting a big part of the yurt right now mm. to be holding space in the yurt in this way. And um, I'm doing practice sessions right now to okay. include the womb work because that's new to me. And I know I'm really good at um, everything that's being asked of me in that space, but I need practice to figure out my flow. Yeah. And if you're a practitioner, you know how this is. You go into a new space. It's like, where do I put my table? Where's my <laughs> oils going to be? Where are my crystals going to be? Where's my fan? Where's my heat? What you mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> so oh, yeah. I have a, I have a person coming on Thursday and I told her, I was like, I'm really good but I may be a little bit clumsy with me figuring out my space and we're both trading cause she's also just kind of new to some of the work. And so that's really exciting. But, um, this is work I've dreamed of for a really long time and been absolutely terrified mm-hmm. to actually move into. Well, good for you for finding that courage. Thank you. Yeah. Well, where can, uh, so where can people find you? You know, I know that we talked about wild nature retreats, but you know, is there a website? Is there, are you looking for volunteers or people that you could practice this? Uh... Yes. I'm actually looking for male bodied beings okay. um, or rather lingam bodied beings, okay. which means that you have a penis, mm-hmm. um, your sexual orientation or how you identify as a gender is not important. Okay. Um, I have a pretty lengthy list of uh, female-bodied beings or or vaginal-bodied beings on my list currently, but feel free to reach out. Um, what I'm doing during this time is taking donations. Okay. And what I've said is have the session and then decide on what that donation looks like. I love that. Um, yeah, so I have a website. It's ancient and needing to be updated. That's actually on the to-do list right now. I'm talking to somebody about redoing it. I had my photos done last year as a way of like initiating this remaking, but I'm glad I waited because now I'm in this deep training and apprenticeship with this Tantra work. And, Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's going to be another evolution. Um, the easiest way to reach me is either through Instagram. I do answer my messages on there. Um, but if you message me and I don't, it's probably cause you went into my other folder that I didn't see and you're welcome to email me and it's just sensuous revival at Gmail. Um, it's sensuous revival on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, that's my website. I was lucky that at least when I launched that in 2017, nobody had that name in mind. Nice. Um, 
And then the retreat center is Wild Nature Retreat. Um, on Instagram, we are looking at trying to at least create a landing pad, a landing page with a calendar on it fairly soon. Okay. Um, some things that are coming up through the retreat center that are worth mentioning is um, we are holding a um, a training for craniosacral therapy. Mm. Uh, I was going to say this month, but it's not October yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) So in October, we've got a craniosacral. It is an advanced training, which means that you need to have previous um, experience or training. I think it's a, you need to have level one, uh, but you can reach out to them directly. Um, Soul Family Sundays are starting back um, the first Sunday of every month. So this coming Sunday, um, the information for this is all on Instagram. Cool. And then um, there's lots of different events. I just had a really cool meeting with Fire Sauna this morning. Mm. And we are in the middle of now creating a winter solstice event mm. that's actually going to be at the beginning of December because winter solstice is right before Christmas. Christmas, yeah. And we know everybody gets busy. Yeah. Um, and then... Jeffrey Marks, the medium, he's mm-hmm. going to be back in December as well. We have some other events um, that are happening there that are a little bit more um, off the beating path of uh, public announcement. So yes. if those things are of, of curiosity, then it's best to actually join our newsletter. Cool. And if they go to my website, sensuousrevival.com, there's a place for you to put your email in that will put you on our email list. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all the things that you do, for the contribution to this beautiful world that you make, and for all the things that you're working towards. We thank appreciate you. you. I'll have to have you back so we can actually talk about our topic we wanted to talk about. I know. <laughs> I'm like trying to remember. It was uh, trauma resolution leading to sexual, sexual liberation. liberation. Yes. Which, Which is I, I think we wove it in there. A we wove bit. it in. We wove it in. But I think we could we can we can expand on it a little bit more. So well yeah. that's just an excuse to have you back. I'd love to. Hell yeah. All right. Awesome. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with A1I. Uh, please look at the show notes for ways to get in touch with Awa or to check out what she has happening at her facility or what she's offering. Also ways that you can support the show. Obeisance love. We'll see you next time.